One of the key responsibilities of any leader is to develop the people in their organization. And yet, it often seems like everyone has a different way of learning. On today's show, the perspective on the stages of adult development so you can better support and develop the people you lead. This is Coaching for Leaders, episode 273. Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential. Greetings to you from Orange County, California. This is Coaching for Leaders, and I'm your host, Dave Stahoviak. Leaders aren't born, they're made. And this weekly show gives you access to the practical wisdom that will empower you to become a better leader. And if you're joining the show for the first time, welcome. I am so glad you're here. And if you're returning, I think you'll find today's conversation to be very enlightening and empowering, and also to help you not only have more compassion for others, but have more compassion for yourself. Because today we're going to look at the stages of adult development. And this is one of those things that as I was talking with today's guest, I thought I knew more about. And I realized that I don't know as much about this as I want to. And so I'm really excited for today's conversation because I know uh, that I'm going to learn a lot as well. And my guest today is an expert in adult development, and that is Mindy Dana. She has over 20 years experience helping individuals and organizations achieve their goals through coaching, organization development, and strategic facilitation. Mindy specializes in workplace communication, influencing skills, sales management, team building, strategic facilitation, and conflict resolution. And she holds a master's degree in organization management with an emphasis in adult development theory and conflict analysis. And of course, we're going to talk a lot about adult development theory today. Mindy, welcome to Coaching for Leaders. Thank you. I'm delighted to be here. Oh, I am so looking forward to this conversation because it is the case that all of us navigate adult development through our lives and in our work and in every interaction in a lot of ways. And yet, I don't feel like I have the language to navigate this well. And I know today you'll uh, really help provide some of that framework, uh, I hope, for all of us. Well, we can certainly get started in that direction. Well, let's start off by just looking at what this is, first of all, because I am thinking about this in the context of having watching, been watching our kids growing up over the last few years. And I think many of us are familiar with, if not the terms, certainly that there are different stages of child development. And we can often see those things very visually when we watch kids of different ages and how they interact. And the interesting thing is there's also stages of adult development. I was wondering if you could paint the picture for us of what that looks like. Sure. And I'll start by saying that, you know, it's only been fairly recently that we even know that the adult mind continues to develop. There was a point at which we thought, well, once we have reached maturity physically, that that's also when our, when our brain stopped developing. And now we know that that is not the case. Now we know that we have the capacity to continue to develop throughout adulthood. And so um, that's really exciting and gives us all so much potential. And there's this theory, there are a number of experts and theorists that out there that talk about this, but, um, and so they have a different nomenclature, but I'll be talking about the stages of adult development based on Robert Keegan's work. 
if anyone's interested in doing a little more research. So Keegan identifies in adults that there are actually four stages of adult development as adults. And the first one is what we call self-sovereign. And for those of you who have teenagers, this may sound familiar because this first stage is usually found in adolescence and early adulthood. And the self-sovereign stage is when it's really kind of what's in it for me. You know, give me the rules. I'm going to play by the rules um, to the extent that I don't want the punishment if I don't follow the rules. But I want clear direction and I want to do what's best for me and I'll do what I have to do to get what I want. I have a feeling so that the parents of teenagers are resonating with this a lot right now. <laughs> it is. And it's, you know, I have to say, because I have a 17 year old, and it's refreshing to remind myself that, wait, this is an appropriate stage of development where she is. Yeah, this yeah. is where she should be. And so, and the great news is they grow out of it. <laughs> so, <laughs> and what's interesting about this, though, is that there are still some adults in the workplace who are at this stage of development. And I have. You know, I've, from time to time, I've encountered them in my work and in my coaching, and it can be a struggle for them because they see the world in much more black and white terms. And again, they will, they want clear rules and clear direction. And, and yet they're, uh, you know, it, it's all about, it's difficult for them to take other people's perspectives. It's not that they don't want to, it's just outside of their ability and their capacity at this particular stage of development. Well, and that actually uh, brings up an important point that I've realized as I was going through and preparing for our conversation is that there's only a modest correlation with age and the stages of adult development. And so this is different than what we many of us have heard of as far as life stages, where we think about young adulthood, middle adulthood, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, older adults. It doesn't necessarily correlate with age, does it? No, it doesn't. Not until you get into the very last stage in the adult development, the self-transforming stage, which is where we do see a correlation between most people and very few people actually hit that stage of development until midlife or after. But other than that stage, um, there is no particular correlation. No, there isn't. You'll find people who are 40 and can be self-sovereign, and you'll find uh, you know, people who are 30 who can be you know, sort of self-authored. So it, there's no direct correlation. And I also have to say, it does not correlate with IQ or intelligence. So we're not talking about intelligence here. We're talking about development, and they're different. Fascinating. And and one of the things that I also find really interesting is that a lot of adults in the population don't necessarily get to some of the later stages that I know we'll talk about. And mm-hmm. so it's it's fascinating that it's not just this isn't like a everyone gets to this stage and it's not even necessarily hierarchical that there's a goal to get to a stage. It's just that everyone's kind of at their own place. That's exactly right. It's you know, there's an analogy in in, in uh, that is just because you have uh, long fingers and an ear for music doesn't mean you're going to grow up to be a concert pianist. And so just because we all have that capacity doesn't mean that we necessarily either want to or have to, you know, progress along that continuum. That said, it sounds like most adults do get to that second stage um, beyond the, and tell me the term again, I, I, I'm, I'm in my mind, sure. I'm just thinking teenager. <laughs> sure, sure. So again, yeah, we're stuck at the teenager. So the first stage that sort of is the self-sovereign, Form of mind. Self-sovereign. And the next stage is called the socialized 
form of mind. And and this is actually, we know, and there's there's some research out there. So we know that in in the adult world, about 46% of the population is at the socialized um, meaning-making stage. And the socialized meaning-making stage is now we've gotten to a point where we can actually take other people's perspectives. So I can see how someone else might see something um, as opposed to the self-sovereign sort of teenager mindset of, no, my way is the right way. Now I'm at a stage where I can take all those different perspectives and I actually become quite fused with those different perspectives. So if you think about the kid that goes off to college and suddenly becomes politically active or gets involved with a particular group that has a strong sort of ideology, suddenly that sort of awakens these different perspectives and you become quite fused with that and, and very loyal to those sort of external authorities. And so the upside of this stage, that the capacity we have at this stage is that we can see those other perspectives. The, the sometimes the constraint we sometimes face at this stage of development is that we lose our own sort of our own voice. So the analogy is now I have my sort of internal board of directors inside my head, you know, that share with me and, and sort of can inform me about these different perspectives, but I'm not yet the chairman of that board. So what I, and I often see with especially um, sort of young managers where this can be a, a challenge is if you are trying to make a decision, you have two people whom you hold in high esteem, who you see as experts or authorities, and if they have competing points of view, you don't know how to navigate that. That's when you become quite torn because you're so aligned with what those external authorities expect of you. Yeah, and I'm really interested in that distinction you drew between the board of directors but not being the chair of the board. Tell right. me more about that. What is that? What is it that, that um, holds that person back at the stage potentially from being able to do for themselves? Because they're just, they're just haven't gotten to that point on their own development path yet where they have constructed their own sort of self-authored voice, their own voice of, okay, I see that Bob thinks this way about that. And, you know, Leanne thinks this, and then I appreciate those points of view. And I believe this, and, and when you're in the socialized meaning making, you're just not there yet. You can actually see Leanne's point of view and you also see Bob's and you hold them both, you know, you see them both as being authorities. And then you, if someone were to say, well, what do you want to do? I can't answer that yet. I can't find that voice. And I remember in my own development path, feeling that not being able to hear that inner voice. I just, and oftentimes the coaching that someone like me would get at that stage of my development would be, well, you just need to be more assertive or you need to bring your voice in the room or you need more self-esteem. And the fact is, I haven't constructed that for myself yet. Oh, so it's not, a, it's not a permanent state and it's not a disability. It is just a developmental marker. Well, and what's really interesting is that you mentioned that's 46% of the adult population. And so right. almost half of the people that are in our organizations that we're working with, our peers, our colleagues, are at that developmental stage. That's right. And one of the things that's interesting about this is that your, your stage of development 
has everything to do also with the environment that you're in. In other words, it's only, your stage of development is only a problem, quote unquote, for you if the environment that you're in requires, has a level of complexity that exceeds your development. So, for example, I'm working with a company right now where they're uh, 300 employees. Um, they were a startup and now they're kind of sort of at the teenager stage of their development as an organization. And they're trying, they really want their, their managers to be, to make decisions. I mean, it's a fast moving business and they want their people to make decisions and sort of take the reins and be leaders. And a lot of them at this point, um, from a developmental standpoint are saying, I don't feel like I can do that. I can't do that yet. And they don't know why. Does that make sense? They're just mm-hmm. feeling kind of overwhelmed and they look, they see those external authority figures and say, but, but, but they, they know they're the leaders and the leaders are saying, no, <laughs> we need you to sort of step up in this. And sometimes there's a developmental mismatch there. Yeah, indeed. And so there could be situations where depending on the kind of organization that this development level is perfectly great, even at the highest levels of leadership, as far as mm-hmm. being able to navigate change and how the organization operates. And yet, like you were saying, you know, when when you cross that developmental milestone as an organization where the organization needs more, then that may not be sufficient anymore. Exactly. And so, so at, when you're at that socialized meaning making, what your sort of sense of self sort of coheres around how others see you, how the environment judges you. And so conflict or criticism becomes, feels very, very threatening because that's your identity is so fused with how others perceive you. We may get more into this in a bit, but I'm, I'm one of the probably obvious questions here is it, when an organization is at that stage and there's maybe a large population of leaders and managers who are at the developmental stage, at whatever stage, that don't match the needs of the organization. What is a way that leaders can start to think about how they navigate that, given that reality? Yeah, well, that's such a great, that's a great question because, I mean, this is something I'm passionate about because, you know, so often in organizations, we talk about leadership development. And the fact is, a lot of the leadership development, quote unquote, out there is not really development oriented. And an image that may be helpful and one that um, Bob Keegan uses in his work is if you picture sort of um, two vessels and you're in and a lot of the kind of, quote unquote, development work we do in organizations is we fill the vessel with information, right? We, that's information. We fill it. Um, and that's skill-based training and things like that, and it certainly has a place. But when we're talking about true development, we need to transform the vessel itself. We need to make the vessel bigger. Transform is, uh, is different. And so what we we're talking about in organizations, right, in many organizations right now, is we need to be able to transform the vessel, the meaning-making that people have, and that requires a different kind of leadership development. Fascinating. So fascinating. All right. So let's look at the the third stage. And that stage is the self, self-authoring self mind. Tell us about that. So the self-authoring mind is now, <clears throat> now that chairman, that internal board of directors, now you're the chairman of that board of directors. Now you're at a point where you can stay true to your values, which you have created and generated and they're clear to you and you set your goals 
based on your own values and standards. And your self-image is based on your evaluate your own sort of a self-evaluation of your competency and your integrity. It's less about what other people think. Not that, of course, on some level as human beings, we always care what other people think of us, sure. but it doesn't become the primary driver of how I perform day to day. It is about what do I value? How do I measure myself and my own effectiveness? That becomes sort of my sort of my center of gravity from a development standpoint. And am I remembering correctly from some of the research that a majority of adults don't get to this stage? No, actually, in this one, there's about we research shows that about forty one percent of the population is somewhere be, is is around the self authored. Now, I have to say that these are not you know clear cut sort of one you're in this phase and then you're in this phase. What we know is that actually between one stage and another, that can be four sort of additional sort of plateaus or stages in between. Oh, okay. So so many times you'll find that someone will be on the path between being socialized and self-authored. Um, and I would say in my own experience, just being out there stumbling around organizations, is that most people I encounter in leadership and management roles are somewhere on that path between socialized and self-authored. And is it also the case that depending on context, situation, and relationship that these, do these show up differently? And and the reason I'm asking that is when I think about different situations that I'm in on a daily basis, both professionally and personally, I can see elements of all three of these stages depending on the context. Oh, is Is that, um, yeah. is it one of those things like you are at a stage, but you also may behave differently within different contexts at different stages on how you handle things? And I'm, I'm not even sure I'm asking that question very well. No, no. You know, you're asking it beautifully. I'm so glad you brought it up. It's a great, great question. It's absolutely true because if you think about Russian stacking dolls, you know, we have, or rings of a tree, we all have that sort of self-sovereign in us. We all have that socialized, right? So we, we have those in us. And I have a great example of, you know, this summer, uh, my mom turned 90, and so we all, the whole family got together for a week at a beach house. And um, what I discovered to my dismay is that, wow, I can I can pivot back to uh, my socialized meaning-making pretty quickly when I'm hanging around my family, you know? <laughs> my biggest self, my biggest self doesn't always show up, you know? And so it is very contextual, yes, because we all still have those within us, so um, more often than not, we will find ourselves reverting back to earlier um, sort of meaning-making systems or stages of development, depending on the context. It's a great question. Oh, I so can relate, Minnie, and I, I know a lot of our audience can too, <laughs> going back and spending time with family. <laughs> you do tend to kind of fall back into some of those patterns, those, you know, even parent-child dynamics. Yeah. So, yeah, interesting. And there's really. triggers out there. And so the triggers, you know, what we, when we're coaching, when I'm doing coaching with people that's developmentally oriented like this, one of the things I ask them to do is sort of don't try and change anything yet. Just observe your meaning making in action and just sort of start to notice what patterns emerge. What are the triggers? What are the, you know, so, so it's just start to notice um, how you show up in different situations because mm. it is very much contextual. Well, one of the things that I, I know we both want for this conversation is um, our listeners to come away with just having more compassion for themselves first, yeah. and, 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 and by virtue of that, hopefully for others as well. Um, but, I, but I am curious, you know, having looked at three of these now, um, what are some of the things or the indicators that we can 
pay attention to from a meaning-making standpoint that would help provide some of those indicators to give us a sense of where we are in our development? So sort of what, what are some of the markers that we can pay attention to yeah. that would let us know where we might be? Yeah, this is, this is, this is my desire to know exactly where I fall. <laughs> <laughs> the chart, yeah, yeah, right? yeah. <laughs> yeah, which is under, completely understandable. We all want to know, well, what am I anyway? Yeah, exactly. Can I take <laughs> um, a 10-minute test and, and figure out exactly where I am? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm an Aries and I'm self-authored. Yeah, so um, I <laughs> I would say, and here's my, here's my caveat here, it's very tempting to want to, you know, to be able to look at something and, and immediately diagnose ourselves and or others. And as I was going through this training myself, my mentor would often say to us, okay, and how might we be wrong about this? In other words, human meaning making is incredibly complex. And so while I would love to be able to say, here's the chart, take the chart, print it off and go do, it's, it's not quite that simple. However, you can through, and I can cite some resources if, if um, if people are interested, but there's a lot out there that can be read that would say, okay, so for me, I think the really important thing to realize is that if you're dealing with an employee who you see as a performance problem, because you're saying over and over again, well, I gave him the feedback and he's not responding. To me, that's a red flag around, hey, maybe it's not that he doesn't want to do it or that he doesn't know how to do it. It's just that he's not there from a developmental capacity yet. Mm. So, um, so that's where the compassion comes in, where you say, oh, wait a minute, this is not this. And it's not a life sentence. This is something that somebody can literally can grow out of with the right kind of support. And what we know, what fuels development in adults is what we call optimal conflict, which is the right balance between challenge and support. And so for most of us, we're swimming in a, in a, in a challenging environment in our organization. So the, the challenge is there. What is needed is the right kind of support to help with our development. And that's where I think leaders can really start to step up and say, okay, let's look through a different lens and let's look into this more and learn more about it so we can have a more compassionate kind of point of view. When I love the self-coaching question of how might we be wrong, it, I'm not sure I phrased it the way you did, but it's yeah. just such a it's such a caring way to look at the world because as we've been talking about you know we just this is so complex and when we talk about human development yeah. and especially at the adult stages it, there's so many different ways we can misinterpret things and so it's just a it's a really good checkpoint for all of us well, and I think ironically, as as the world is getting more and more complex and you know we all know the the term the sort of the uh, acronym VUCA, you know, volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous that, you know, so many organizations are, are just the very embodiment of that. And our human response is to want to make it simpler to deal with the complexity is to make it more black and white. And it's absolutely antithesis of what we should be doing. We should be saying to ourselves, and how might I be wrong about this? Mm. Oh, I love that. I love that. And that that's my natural tendency too, is like, how can I simplify this, make this more easy, color-coded yeah, <laughs> system? Yes. Yeah. And, uh, and it is, I, I just, I really like that challenge of let's look at the other side, actually, of how could we be wrong about how we're looking at it. It's so powerful. And, and speaking of uh, looking at something through a powerful lens, Tell me about this self-transformational stage, stage four. And this, this is yeah. the one that it sounds like 
very few of us ever really arrive at this stage. Yeah, the cell transforming stage, which, and, and just for, just to be clear, just if we're sort of referring to Robert Keegan's model of adult development, he refers to the self transforming stage as the stage, as sort of stage five. And this is where research shows that it's only 1% of the population we believe to be at this stage of meaning making. And, and, and think of, the Nelson Mandela's of the world or Martin Luther King Jr. Those are the, the kinds of leaders that we, that we surmise where there were markers that they were sort of at the self-transforming stage of development where, you know, where self-authored, we, we use the term self-authored leaders learn to lead and self-transforming leaders lead to learn. So they look at the world through a uh, constantly, how might I be wrong about this? And seeing that the the interconnectedness of all different systems. So they connect dots where the rest of us see black and white or we see polarities. They see connection. And as a result, it's a very ambiguous place to live. I mean, it's a challenging place to live. And yet it creates a spaciousness and a capacity for healing in the world, frankly, that is something we really need right now. Oh, indeed. And this may be an unfair question because so many of us aren't at the stage, but I'm I'm wondering if there's a way to look at this as an example of what would be the kind of thing a leader would do or a behavior that they would exhibit that would be indicative of this kind of a stage? Well, I'm coaching a guy right now who I would say is on the journey from um, being self-authored to self-transforming. He's not self-transforming yet, but he's on that pathway. And he's trying to implement a large organizational systems change. And he is encountering, as you might imagine, obstacles and conflict in trying to implement that. And he he sees that conflict as um, a good thing. He's looking at that saying, wow, this is great. This is information. This is how we can learn together. This is what I can learn from this. I can take this and we can. So he doesn't see it as, he doesn't see the people as impediments or obstacles. He sees them as, um, you know, stewards on this journey. Um, so it's, you know, people who are self-transforming will be able to, and I think, you know, I think about Nelson Mandela and the story of, you know, engaging um, you know, putting the, I, I, I'm, I'm going to say this badly because I can't remember the name of the team. Remember the rugby team that he was supporting that he, oh, so he, would, he yeah. brought the country together in a really unorthodox sort of way. Is it the spring, spring box? Um, yes, exactly. Yeah. I'm not sure I'm saying it right. It's the, um, of, the Invictus you know, movie, isn't it? Yes, exactly. So as opposed to seeing these guys as the bad guys, quote unquote, that we are fighting against, he saw them as a part of the entire system that we need to embrace and bring in. And so that's, that's a self-transforming lens. Fabulous. Well, there, there's a there's a movie recommendation too because it's a fabulous exactly. movie. Exactly. Um, yeah, that is. <laughs> but as but as you mentioned that, it reminds me of seeing that movie and just how it's it's so hard to not come away from that movie just being so inspired of wow. There's just mm-hmm. another level of how to serve people through leadership that's truly transformational and transcends that's most exactly. anything we ever see <laughs> in, in everyday that's exactly leadership. right. And they are the leaders that tend to really inspire us, aren't they? I mean, we think about them and, and, and we can probably count them on one or two hands in, in, in that we know of in our history. So um, 
but they tend to be very, very inspirational and see the world in a much more expansive way and, and give us a sense of hope. I, I know you are very conscious of this isn't necessarily a um, that there's a, a right or a wrong or we need to get to the next stage by a certain point. It's not it's not about that. And, and at the same time, I, I imagine that there are our listeners listening, many of whom are who are handling very complex situations and probably want to continue to push themselves and challenge themselves. What are some of the things that all of us can do either to gain more awareness of where we are, but also potentially to expand our own development beyond where we are today? Well, um, one of the things, um, one of the things I have on my blackboard in my office, it's a magnet that says, uh, do something that scares you every day and life begins at the end of your comfort zone. So (laughs) I Mm. think sort of recognizing that if we want to grow, putting ourselves in situations where we are challenged, where we do stretch our meaning making um, and finding, and while we're putting ourselves in those situations, which are uncomfortable, but we know that that's what fuels growth is finding a support network that can help us. So we have that balance of challenge and support. So I would say one, number one is when you find yourself feeling uncomfortable, you're on the edge of learning and growth. And then learn more about it. I mean, there's so many great books out there. So again, I mentioned um, anything written by Robert Keegan, K-E-G-A-N out of Harvard. Um, He wrote Immunity to Change, which talks a little bit about stages of development. He wrote In Over Our Heads, which is sort of a seminal book about development. Another great book is Changing on the Job by Jennifer Garvey Berger. And she talks a lot about how you can coach your employees through these various stages of development. Yeah, does that is that a? Oh, that's fabulous! That's fabulous, and I think those would be great resources. For, and I'll get all these into the notes as well for those in our audience great. who want to get get more into depth here. And and at the same time, I love the love the advice of just doing one thing every day that scares you. I think it's, uh, was that famously attributed to <laughs> Eleanor. Eleanor Roosevelt? <laughs> I think it's Eleanor Roosevelt. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, th- I think there's some dispute as to whether or not she ever said it, but, uh, yeah, but that's true. That's true. That's true. But, but, but the I advice like is, no matter who said it, I think it's good. I know. I know the advice is sound regardless. And uh, I've told people over the years that if you're looking for a professional and personal development plan, Boy, there's one sentence that if you do that every day, one thing that scares you, either professionally or personally, that's that's a powerful recipe for change and for expanding your boundaries and horizons every single day. It is. And the other thing I will add to this, which I think is so important and so often lost, is the power and the necessity of reflection. So if you're, because we know that the way we learn, the way adult brains work is reflection is a necessary part of learning. So if we're putting ourselves on the edges of our comfort zones, then make sure that we create time for ourselves and space for ourselves to reflect on those experiences so that we can learn and grow from them. Because otherwise it just becomes, it's not getting embedded in our brains as learning and growth. Mindy, I so appreciate your perspective and uh, not only helping us identify these different stages, but also uh, what we do with this, how we navigate it, and how we can expand our own horizons too. So thank you so much for that. And, and thanks for all the resources you've mentioned. I'm curious for those who'd like to connect with you as well, what's the best way for folks to do that? Uh, they can go to cultivatingleadership.com. Mindy, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it and uh, very much look forward to uh, sharing this conversation with our audience. 
Thank you. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much, Dave. Thank you again, Mindy. And there's a number of links to the resources that Mindy recommended on the show notes. And as always, the best way to get access to those is uh, just to get them in your inbox on Wednesdays. And you can do that by activating your free Coaching for Leaders membership. That will ensure you get the show notes in your inbox every Wednesday, along with my weekly leadership guide, which has resources, other podcasts, books, articles I've found that I think will support you in your ongoing leadership development. And you can join that by just by going to the homepage at coachingforleaders.com and signing up right there. It's absolutely free. And when you do, you'll get access to my free 10-day audio course called 10 Ways to Empower the People You Lead. And if you will give me 10 minutes a day for 10 days, it will provide you with the most immediate practical actions to becoming a better leader. And so that's a great way to get started, especially if you've just started listening to Coaching for Leaders recently. You can access that immediately there. In addition, in the free membership is the full podcast library All five plus years of the show, all the experts that have been there, and you can now search by topic into the entire archive. So I encourage you to check that out if you haven't already. Coachingforleaders.com is where to go. And as I mentioned in my announcement last week, I've partnered again with Michael Hyatt this year as an affiliate for his Best Year Ever course. And he is offering a great resource for your 2017 planning that's now available And if you haven't ever planned out a year, I really encourage you, whether it's through this course or on your own or through some other resource, I would really encourage you to do that for the first time starting here in 2017. I know it's still a month away until the new year, but it is going to be here like that. And the difference I've had in my life professionally and personally since from the moment I started really planning years three years ago when I started taking Michael's course is so different than it was prior to doing that. And most people out there keep living and planning, kind of doing the same thing every year uh, just because that's what they did last year. And this year, I want more for you, and I know Michael does too. And the best way to get started on that is to download his free ebook called Achieve What Matters in 2017, Eight Strategies That the Super Successful People Are Using Now to Accomplish More. He profiles eight different strategies in the book. It's absolutely free. You can get to it by going to coachingforleaders.com slash best2017. So again, coachingforleaders.com slash best2017. That link will be in this week's leadership guide as well. Check that out, and it will get you started on thinking about what to do for 2017 and get you along that path to support your success in the new year. And uh, back to this week's topic on adult development, one of the uh, one of the things that's often asked about uh, when I talk with people about a topic like this is, okay, uh, all that makes sense, but how do I actually do it now? What are some of the tactical things I can do specifically around training? So here are some past episodes that will be helpful for those of you who are thinking about developing others and specifically are thinking about how to train others that will be really resourceful to you. Uh, First of all, episode 32 is titled The Best Way to Do On-The-Job Training. I go through step-by-step the five or six big things you need to be thinking about if you're supporting other people and doing on-the-job training. Uh, That will help you get started on that. You can just follow that process step-by-step. 
Also, in episode 36, I did an overview on what every leader ought to know about sending people to training. Um, In that episode, I did a deep dive on all the things I've seen in the training industry over the last 10 to 15 years that I wish leaders would know before they sent people to training. And so that's episode 36. If you're sending people to training or thinking about doing it soon, you're definitely going to want to check that out. Also, episode 135, how to get the most out of training. Bonnie and I, uh, actually, that's a Q&A episode. Bonnie and I went through and answered all questions on that episode about training. So if you're thinking about doing that, episode 135 is a great place to start. And speaking of the Q&A episode, Bonnie and I return next week for our monthly Q&A show. You can submit your question now for consideration either for this show or the first Monday of every month's show at coachingforleaders.com slash feedback. Have a great week and talk to you next Monday. Take care.